So I think that's what's kind of cool about some products is that it's not in reinventing the wheel, like not coming up with something brand new. It's something that already existed. Or like when people are like, you know, what do I do about body wash and soap? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of things that are sustainable are just really simple. You're listening to The Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Dirt Podcast. And I just want to share with everyone listening this morning that I just was out in the garden and I came back in with two really nice, big, juicy pawpaws from our pawpaw tree. I'm just so excited to share about pawpaws because they are a fruit indigenous to North America that a lot of people don't know about it, or maybe they've never even heard of it. And can you clarify is it a pawpaw tree that you planted in your garden or is it a wild plant that you found well that's a really good question i actually planted two pawpaw trees in our garden probably seven years ago eight years ago i can't quite remember but they are wild they go wild all over the place here when we walk down by the river they're just lining the canal path and when we walk through the woods here just around our house They're all over the place, the trees. But the thing about them is you might see trees everywhere, but you don't really get that many actual pawpaws. I don't know what the secret is for them actually making fruit. I don't know if it has to do with sunlight or situation or whatever, but you see a whole lot more trees than you do pawpaws. But if you're lucky, come mid-September, late September, and depending on where you are into October even, you'll see these fruits. And best probably to gather them off the ground once they have fallen because that means they're really ripe and ready to eat. But the problem is then you're competing with the critters because the critters love them. So for those of you that don't know, a paw is actually something resembling a tropical fruit. It's really like a combination between a mango or a banana and some people compare it to the papaya some people think that maybe even that's where the word pawpaw comes from is a derivation of papaya because they're so similar in color and texture and that tropical fruity taste and smell really very fragrant i've also heard them called a hipster mango right or hipster something oh because they've been hipster i haven't heard that lately why do you think they're hipster that's funny that might be passe now but a couple years ago like they exploded all of a sudden people were talking about pawpaws Uh and they were at all the cool hipster farm-to-table restaurants. Reminds me of ramps, like how ramps are a thing. 
it's like an underground fruit vegetable that's cool. Oh, yeah, I get it. The thing is that it's not something in a store and it's not something sold places. It's not mainstream. It's not really apart from the food system because they're so fragile and they don't travel well at all. In fact, if we find them in the woods on our walk and pick them up and it's early in the walk, by the time we get home, they're going to be bruised and have brown spots and stuff. But that's okay. You can eat it anyway. But they're just not made for a lot of handling before eating. So they're pretty much tree or ground to table, so to speak. But they're really fun they are delicious. It takes them getting used to dealing with them and knowing how to actually make them into different kinds of foods. I know you've been perfecting your papa ice cream recipe. Yes. In fact, in the Almanac a week or so ago, I published an article on autumn ice cream and I featured three flavors autumn flavors, pumpkin, persimmon, and pawpaw. And they are all delicious. I can attest to the fact that this is a wonderful base recipe that you can add things into. And these three fall flavors just work marvelously with it. And it's an easy recipe. It's actually a no-cook recipe. So it's really fun. I've been whipping it up. You just have to plan a few hours ahead of time so you can chill the custard. And you have to have an ice cream maker handy. I have a small ice cream maker. It's one of those kind of frozen tub things. You just keep it in the freezer so you can whip it out. And it doesn't really take much planning. So you did the three different flavors for people who might not have access to pawpaws. Like you pick which one you want or you use them all? Oh, no, they're separate. I guess you could combine them too. So you could pick any of the three flavors or combine them. I love to experiment and see how things work out. And what about someone who wants to try pawpaws, but they're not anywhere near where they grow naturally? Do you know if anyone that delivers pawpaws? Very good question. Pawpaws grow most places around the eastern United States. The further you go north, the harder they are to find. Really prolific here. For those of you that are so curious and you just would really like to try them, I did find one company that actually ships them. It's called Earthy Delights. Not Earthly Delights, but Earthy Delights. And they will ship them to you overnight. And they've been doing this for 30 years. And they've got it down. And if you don't want to get a whole big carton of fresh raw pawpaws, they also sell the frozen pulp. And that's a little more practical for shipping and also a little less expensive. But check the show notes below for their website. If you'd like to try North America's very own magical, mystical, tropical fruit, then look into it. It's really fun. Awesome. It's only been since I was up here working on this wild and wacky garden for all these years that I have discovered it and gotten to know it and love it. Speaking of wild and wacky gardens, yeah, you are also growing lots of dye plants and it's about time to start dyeing outside again because it's not too hot and we can do a fire and we can have fun dye times. Yeah. So we're actually doing that today after this. I'm very excited. Oh, yes. I took a long walk yesterday and I foraged lots of goldenrod. It's out everywhere right now. It's just really fun to go walking and you don't want to take too much from any one spot. So you have to keep walking. So I love that. And I also found some sumac. Thank you, Caitlin, for telling me the exact spot to find the sumac. So I got a bunch of sumac. So what colors do those make? Most of these fall plants are going to be anywhere from 
greenish, like yellow green, all the way through bright yellow and a whole continuum in between. That's just the nature of what's blooming in the fall. So all of these wonderful fall plants that just bring to mind end of summer, the waning garden, and just all the beautiful things that are showing up at the end of the season. It's just so much fun. Do you still have the indigo pot going? I do have my indigo. It just keeps going. You just go out there and stir it and heat it up every now and then to keep it active and working. So that's ready to go. And so I think today we're going to use the goldenrod, the sumac, and there's a lot of marigold as well because the marigolds are starting to wane a little bit. It's a really good time to pull those blossoms off and throw them in a dye pot. And I also love using logwood as a fall color. It's purple. It reminds me of purple grape. I can't get logwood around here. And in that case, I use extract that I get from botanical colors. So if you've been following Lady Farmer, we are Lady Farmer on Instagram. For a while, you know that my mom loves to dye things in the backyard for fun. It's a hobby. And so if you're lucky, you might be able to snag some dyed items from Mary in the store. She has socks around the holidays and things like that. And But they're not always available. But currently, we do have a good number of indigo dyed items that are repurposed. And some beautiful pieces, all natural fibers, of course, because they hold the dye the best. But make sure that you check out the Lady Farmer Marketplace for those indigo dyed items. And also just keep an eye out in case anything comes from today's dye day or, or anytime soon. We can't promise anything, but it's a good thing to keep an eye out for because the socks are the best, honestly. I love them. And you can find all the indigo dyed items in the Lady Farmer Marketplace if you click the shop tab and you can go to the natural dyed collection or you can find them amongst the apparel. So let's talk about today's guest. Jesse Stokes is the founder and owner of the Tiny Yellow Bungalow Shop, which what started as an experimental blog in sustainability in 2015 is now an online eco-conscious one-stop source for natural and sustainably produced items for daily needs. Products that are free of plastics, pollutants, toxins, and wasteful packaging. This was such a great conversation about sustainability in general and what that means and what I call the great conundrum of selling sustainability, which as we talk about so frequently here on the podcast, it's something of an oxymoron. None of us working in this space authentically wants anyone to apply more consumerism to the idea of intentional living, living with less waste and more care for yourself and the planet. We all want to find ways of getting away from that. Not completely. None of us can get away from that completely. Of course, we look for other ways. So we talk, among other things, about greenwashing, the problem with buzzwords like zero waste and plant-based, and the driving force of convenience as a selling point. She's the real deal. She's passionate in her mission and eager to encourage others in their sustainability journey. But she's so down to earth and realistic about trying to pursue sustainability within a broken system. She's also a young mom and she has advice for others in making life decisions that require a different approach to sustainability. Stick around for what she has to say about cloth diapers. We love to explore all of these ideas in our lovely conversation with Jesse, and we're really happy to share it with you. So let's get going. Here is Jesse Stokes of the Tiny Yellow Bungalow. 
My name is Jessie Stokes. I am the founder and owner of the Tiny Yellow Bungalow Eco Shopping Blog. I'm based here in Athens, Georgia. I started Tiny Yellow Bungalow 2015, 16, and have just been learning about sustainability as I go. I'm excited to be here. And what prompted you to start a shop? What's your journey there? It's kind of funny. I never had like a aha moment like, oh, let's save the planet. It really mm-hmm. started. So the name of my blog shop is Tiny Yellow Bungalow. That's where I was living kind of when I started learning about sustainability. I was living in Houston, Texas in this really small bungalow. It was bright yellow. And it was the first time that I had my own space. Like didn't live with my parents, didn't live in an apartment. And I had a little backyard and I started experimenting with composting and gardening and things like that just kind of for fun and I thought oh you know what it would be cool to write a blog and share with my friends who might read it or my family kind of what I was learning and it kind of tumbleweed from there you know I started blogging at first and as I kind of got more and more into sustainability I was really struggling to find sustainable products where I lived now it seems like there's like an eco shop on every corner (laughs) But at the time, there wasn't really. They just couldn't find the things that I needed. And if I did buy them online, they always came wrapped in plastic packaging. So I was like, you know what? It would be really cool if there was a one-stop shop where you could just buy all the eco-friendly stuff that you wanted. And so I started my shop then. That's how I did it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it really came from a place of you felt like you couldn't find the products. Are you thinking like swaps, like you had this, but you couldn't find the eco-friendly version of that? Yeah. Now I feel like every store, you know, even at Target, you can find a bamboo toothbrush, but at the time you couldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would try to find these things and I'd be like, okay, I'll buy them online and I'd buy them and they'd come wrapped in all this packaging or I tried a lot of different brands of things till I found ones that are like. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, it would be nice if there was someone, who, you know, like go somewhere where someone had vetted all the products mm-hmm. and you just knew that it was going to be stuff that was good for you mm-hmm. for the and not have to just do all of that research that I did to get where I was. Yeah. Talk about the standards and criteria for your products that you want to use and also that you want to offer to your customers. What are your, how do you vet them? Yeah. What are your guidelines? Yeah. I try to keep everything in my shop good for the planet, good for people, plastic free or just about as little plastic as possible, reusable packaging if I can, organic if I can. I feel like a lot of it, it started out where I would look for something for myself and like you know, say shampoo bars or something. And I would try to find the best shampoo bar and I would try a bunch of them out. And when I found my favorite shampoo bar, <laughs> I would carry it in the shop. But now I've had customers that reach out to me and they say, you know, I can't find an alternative to a plastic toilet brush. I really wish I could find that. Can you help me find it like a good company that is good quality? It's not going to fall apart. And so then I do that research and try out the products and talk. I remember like. Cool. Everything. Things that I've tried myself that I really like. Okay. Were you able to find a non-plastic toilet brush? Yeah. I'm curious. <laughs> I was. Oh, well. <laughs> That's pretty good. And is it in your shop? Can we find it in your shop? Yeah. <laughs> it has a handle and coconut fiber bristle. That cool. Wow. I'm posted. So. Very cool. That's great. I love that. (laughs) What do you have to say about the growing zero waste and sustainability trend that there are more products available and it has become more accessible to shop better, but we're still consuming, we're still buying things. So what do you say about reckoning those two ideas of sustainability? Because people feel like they have to buy a bunch of stuff if they want to be sustainable. And I feel like 
until you're on this side of it, it's kind of hard to understand that. Talking about sustainability, people immediately go, oh, well, I can't just drop everything and switch out all my products. What do you have to say about that? I totally understand that. And especially as a small business owner for an eco-friendly shop, it's this really fine line between trying to get people to buy things that they need, mm-hmm. not wanting people to just buy stuff to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. It happens at every, uh, all the holidays where I'm always like, oh my gosh, like, People are expecting sales, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, do I want to encourage people to be buying stuff? Mm -hmm. The same with Earth Day. People go, you know, my shop goes crazy on Earth Day. People buying, buying, buying. And it's just really tough because you just don't want to encourage that of consumerism. Mm -hmm. And that's just the opposite of what sustainability is all about. But at the same time, I know that feeling of when you're first starting out and you're seeing the changes are being effective, kind of like I swapped this out. This is a concrete change. I had this plastic bottle of shampoo and now I have this shampoo bar. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the beginning, I felt like I was checking off the boxes. I was seeing things that I was doing and it felt like I was doing something that mattered more than just being like, I said no to doing that. Or, and I felt like in the beginning, I don't know, it kind of was like an encouragement for me to keep doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Of course, sustainability is all about using what you have first, of course. And I don't want anybody to feel like they ever need to buy their way to be more sustainable. Right. <laughs> That's sometimes <laughs> how it feels though, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think that definitely, you know, as you run out of your plastic package products and things like that, or you're not mm-hmm. sustainable, looking for alternatives can be really fun. Yeah. And when you find things that you love, making the swap to that and keeping that up is cool. What is something that you've found, kind of like we just talked about the toilet brush with like coconut bristles. That's really cool. What are some other products that you've found that you've come across? You're like, oh, I didn't know that that could be made out of that. Or like, I had no idea that this product had so much plastic in it and there's such an easy swap for it. Tell us about some of your favorite products, I guess. Yeah, I like a lot of different eco-friendly things. I carry a lot of stuff in my shop. One of my favorite swaps has been using a plastic-free razor, like a safety razor. Mm-hmm. I think what I liked about that was that, like, man, why did we ever start using plastic? Mm-hmm. When I saw a safety razor and how it worked and I used it and I was like, okay, it shaves better. I get a closer shave and it's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Why in the world did we ever start using plastic? I don't understand. So I think that's what's kind of cool about some products is that it's not in reinventing the wheel, like not coming up with something brand new. It's something that already existed. Or like when people are like, you know, what do I do about body wash? And I'm so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of things that are sustainable are just really simple. Yeah. It's so true what you said about, you know, once you do one or two items and it's fun, it feels good. Yeah. It's a good feeling and you want to do more and you want to go to the next level. So it's really personally rewarding once you start down that path. If you don't start it thinking that you have to do everything or you have to do it perfectly. Yeah. Which I feel like for a while there with the zero waste movement, I think that really pushed a lot of people to thinking that they needed to be perfect in a lot of ways. That people were trying to reach zero waste and Mm -hmm. I tried to move a little bit away from using that terminology, mostly because I feel like it's very intimidating to people. And while I never have been zero waste in my life, nobody is, I feel like sustainability, using that term kind of is more inviting to a lot of people because it feels like you said, like, oh, you know, I can make changes and this can be fun and and I don't have to do everything. I can just do something and it matters and it's helpful. 
Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. Do you have to say about greenwashing? Where have you encountered greenwashing in building up your shop or doing business in general? Greenwashing is the worst. And I feel like it is. I hate it because I fall for it myself as someone who's, I'm trying really hard to make sure I carry the best of products. And even then, marketing with the way word things can just be really confusing and it's just so frustrating. I've ordered things before. You know, I, I try to always ask when I'm ordering things from my shop, you know, what does the packaging look like? And But even at that, it'll be like, you know, well, it's recyclable or, right. it's, mm-hmm. or it's compostable, but is it, where is it compostable? Can mm-hmm. I compost yeah. it at my house? Well, compost in my backyard or do I need to have like a special facility for this? Mm-hmm. Is it recyclable everywhere or is it only recyclable in some places? Do I need to send it to TerraCycle? Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like it's really frustrating because a lot of times, even when you're trying to do really good, you can be tricked. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Has it ever happened where you've ordered a product and then... You realize that it's not what you thought it was and then you felt like you couldn't sell it? Not necessarily, but I have had times where I've ordered products and then the sellers have sent them to me in plastic packaging, mm-hmm. like wrapped plastic. Okay, I really like your product. Yeah. I'm confused about what we're doing here. And yeah, always, you know, very understanding. And I'm like, yeah, the point is that you have an eco friendly product and I have an eco friendly store. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and what is their response? Used to be very understanding. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know it's protecting whatever. Yeah, sending. Yeah, and granted, in many cases, it is unavoidable. But I think for people like us that sell these things and teach about sustainability, we kind of have a responsibility to at least talk about it, and at least tell the vendor that love your product, but this doesn't jive. And even if they don't have an immediate solution, it gets them thinking. Yes, absolutely. I have a lot of really small brands that I carry in my shop and they're really receptive. Like I have these lotion bars in my shop that come in this little tin and I had customers asking me, you know, can I send you the tin? Like, or, you know, can I send the tin back or 
I really just want to get the blue cushion bar because I already have a tin and I want to put mm-hmm. the new cushion bar in the tin. And at first I was like, I can't selling whatever they're selling to me. Mm-hmm. And then I just was like, let me just ask. Let me just ask and see what they say. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, all my customers, they want to just get the tin one time and then they want just the lotion bars. They were like, absolutely. That's a great idea. <laughs> Bag the tins and we will reuse them. It's really cool. So I think a lot of it too is instead of getting defensive about it and being angry with people when they don't do it, how I can just, just ask. It never Communicate. Mm-hmm. Communicate. Yeah. It's all an exchange of ideas. These things too, you know, there are policies and laws in place out there that sometimes prevent people from avoiding plastic in their products. But as you say, it never hurts to open up the dialogue, which is what we do on this podcast. We just talk about these things. Yeah. yeah. So as an owner and operator of an eco-friendly shop and blog, do you feel like in the rest of your life outside this project do you feel I guess pressure <laughs> do you feel like if someone sees me using a plastic straw or is there a weird pressure there that you put on yourself I think I used to feel that way mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of people looked to me as someone who's if you're teaching about sustainability and yeah. you're sharing about sustainability you should be doing it right all the time mm-hmm. and it wasn't till I'd been doing it for many years that I realized that we're working in a broken system here mm-hmm. and try as you might there's things that you can't do perfectly no one's going to be perfect and I mean I've forgotten my you know my reusable bags or whatever mm-hmm. before I've had to use a classic water bottle like things like that mm-hmm. that I'm sure before I would have been like oh my gosh terribly mortified <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did that but they were all just like yeah I had to do that you know we don't have refillable water stations on every corner right we don't have access to all of these things so easily especially being in Georgia you know there's it's just we don't have access to that and we're just we're working with what we have mm-hmm. and so I think it's better to show people that you're not perfect and you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Then other people feel encouraged that they can do it too. You know, they don't have to do it all. Mm-hmm. Just try to yeah. yeah. I remember once we were traveling during Plastic Free July and it's one thing to do it at home. But when you're traveling, it's a whole other element. You know, being on the airplane and in the airport and all of this and um, went to a wedding and... <laughs> It's kind of funny when I think about it. I was trying to avoid using the little plastic wine cup and I was talking to the server about it. I think I had my own cup and I said, can you put the wine in my own cup? And it it gets kind of silly and people look at you and you feel ridiculous. But in another way, it's kind of fun because I think for me, it, it brings to the surface, you know, how often we encounter that kind of thing. And like we were just saying, just bringing dialogue to it and talking about it. And it just makes people think, this is like, what? Just putting the buzz on something. Yeah. Just like starting the culture shift. Yeah. Starting that. We really need big, big change. But when you do individual change, you're bringing that. Like if you, you know, you have a big, beautiful wedding venue and they're, you know, they're still using the little plastic wine cups and it's like, why? You know, why are you? (laughs) But apparently, you know, nobody thinks that's out of the ordinary. So I probably told this story on here a bunch of times. I don't know. But one time a while ago, a few years ago, I went to a natural organic wine tasting downtown in D.C. You know, they were supporting sustainable vineyards and you went in and you got your wine glass. And then they were like, here's your water bottle to rinse out your glass between tastes because we're saving water. So we're not going to go over to the sink. There was literally a sink there. They 
were like, to save water, we are not rinsing out our wine glass in between. Like, we've really thought about this and we're going to save water. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. At least they were trying. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> At least they're thinking about it. That's like going to natural expos and you know, eco-friendly expos and getting a big swag bag. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. <laughs> Here's your stress. But it's shaped like the world. You can squeeze it. It's styrofoam. <laughs> it takes your stress away. And it's um, probably 20 minutes away from the trash can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. Yep. I know. It's an uphill battle, guys. Girls. Ladies. <laughs> it really is. Have you ever gone to anything or had any events like this or even personal weddings or whatever where you're really impressed? Like, it's actually done well or done right or like countercultural in a way that you can think of? I don't know. I mean, I think I, I notice that a lot in anything that I see where I see like a wedding or something or going to mm-hmm. an event and they use real silverware. Or yeah. Yeah. When you go to the holidays and you have like nice dinnerware instead of paper plates and stuff, I'm like, these things that mm-hmm. I notice and I point out a lot of it, I'm like, oh, that's sustainable. And I think a lot of it, sometimes people don't think about it being sustainable. Than just are doing it, you know, like it's a wedding, it's nicer, it's better. Where I'm trying to be sustainable, but they are. Yeah, I've noticed that definitely for sure. Well, that's to your point too. It hasn't been that long since these kinds of things were the norm. Right. So mm-hmm. when you attend something like that where they're using real china and real utensils, they're bringing back the norm from a not very long right. time ago. Right. <laughs> So how do we get to thinking that all this, these disposables and everything was normal? I'll tell you how we got to thinking it. We were sold the goods that we needed to be in a hurry all the time and that it's too much trouble to wash dishes. It's too much trouble to wash glasses. And our time in the convenience always trumps using something that's you're able to use again and again and again Mm -hmm. because it's just too much trouble and we're just too busy and the kids have too many activities and we have jobs and we're lucky to get food on the table or whatever so by golly we're just going to do whatever we need to do to make it go faster i think that's how all this got started we all got sold the goods that we we don't have enough time it's all yeah convenience everything how can we make it faster? How can we make it more convenient? Mm-hmm. We just had an interview with somebody that's living in Spain. And she said, in Europe, if there was a Barbie doll that depicted American life, the Barbie would be carrying a go cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's pretty accurate. In America, you don't sit down and have your coffee with a friend. You yeah. grab it and go. And it's going to be in a go cup with a plastic top. and Or a plastic cup. Ice coffee. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is true. That's such a thing that we think of, like beholding the go cup of coffee. Luckily, there's some places there coming out with compostable cups. My sister owns a coffee shop and when oh. she started it, she, she was like, I'd like to do things that are sustainable, but also I own a coffee shop mm-hmm. and people are expecting coffee mm-hmm. on the go, but she sells her coffee in compostable cups. Which I think pretty cool, and she you know incentivizes people if they bring a reusable mug, you know you get like money off your order, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of cool because she's making a huge difference. One person bringing their reusable mug, or one company deciding to have all compostable drinking cups. That's a lot of you know things that they're keeping from the trash compared to just one person. That's true. We need more companies like that. They can make such a huge difference by just one little swap like that. Just one change. Mm-hmm. 
it makes a really big impact. Well, I think you mentioned this earlier, and we've talked about this on here before too. Sometimes those compostable products can be kind of a form of greenwashing because to your earlier point, they're only compostable under certain circumstances or in the presence of certain facilities. And what exactly does compostable mean? Does it mean you can put it in with your food compost in the backyard? Probably not. And so it takes research. It takes the consumer being super interested in finding out. And this is really easy to say, oh, this is compostable and using it. But again, to your point, it's at least is a step and for something like a coffee shop or a business that decides, okay, we're going to use these, then, of course, they would probably make sure that it went to the proper place to be composted, hopefully. But I think it will take some awareness and discretion, again, to determine whether or not that word is being used in the context of greenwashing or if it's, a, you know, a real thing. No, I agree. Definitely. And I think the struggle with that, too, is, you know, if you're throwing away your compostable cup, at the place where they're selling them and they're going to make sure they responsibly dispose of them. That's one thing. But if you're going to take it home yeah, and you mm -hmm. don't have community composting or whatever, you only have your backyard compost. Yeah. That's, you know, it's still going in the garbage. Yeah. You're right. It's a step mm -hmm. in the right direction and definitely better than just straight up plastic or yeah. go right to the landfill because we know things don't break down the landfill. But yeah, I think just starting to see more companies thinking about it and trying to go in that direction is good. I mean, it would be awesome if it was like everybody has to bring a reusable cup. Yeah. And there's a coffee company I follow on Instagram called Simple Coffee Company. Shout out. I think they're in Colorado. I wish there was more. Olivia? Yeah. I said, Olivia, yeah. There's no paper, no single use. They sell their coffee. If you order to get coffee from them and you don't have your own mug, or if you want to take it, they give you a glass jar. Wow. So you pay a little bit more. But if you bring it back, you it's like a, like a milk jar. Why is that so hard? We used to do that all yeah. the time with milk jars. I've told this story on here before. So regular listeners, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> in the hotel where I stay when I'm visiting my parents. There is a well-known coffee shop there in the lobby. I go there for my coffee and I ask the lady, please don't put the plastic top on the coffee. And she said she had to. She was required by law to do that. Really? She was not allowed to hand me the coffee across the thing without the plastic thing. Also, this was during COVID, so maybe there was more food safety stuff at top of mind. I don't know. Maybe. But I explained to her about the plastic island the size of Texas in the <laughs> South Pacific. And she said, Really? <laughs> <laughs> she was very engaged. <laughs> you know, I try not to be preachy. I just, I was like, well, I just, okay, that's okay. But I just try to avoid plastic because, you know, and I started telling my story. <laughs> we got into a whole discussion. It was kind of fun. Yeah, it's just sort yeah. of fun to share, you know, if you can do it in a non-obnoxious way, which is sometimes a challenge for me, but... <laughs> People don't know, though. Right. That's the whole thing. I think a lot of them, we're in this kind of bubble of, yeah. like, we know all about this stuff. And all of my friends are talking to, you know, on social media, we're all talking about the same thing. You we're all have, like, yes. And, but you just, like, take one step outside to your coffee shop at the hotel or whatever. Yes. Nobody else there is thinking what you're thinking. Exactly. You're not all thinking about plastic top. So just mentioning it to one person can be huge. Right. It could be thing that sparks them to be like, oh my gosh, why don't I try to do something a little more? Exactly. And then, you know, they might tell the next person, did you know there is this plastic island? And <laughs> to that point, you said something a little earlier, like we all know that things don't decompose in the garbage. I don't think everybody knows that. A lot you know, of people don't. You know it. <laughs> and we, we talk about it on here a lot, but, you know, not 
unfortunately, not everybody listens to the good dirt. If they did, they would know that, but but they don't. <laughs> and so that is something that bears repeating, I think, over and over again, especially food. People dump their leftover food in the trash thinking it's going to decompose. It's really bad. And it's that's actually one of the contributors to methane gas is yes. food in landfills, not <laughs> cows Being farting. There, just, just staying preserved for eternity. <laughs> oh, the cow farting thing is a great segue. I wanted to talk about the term plant-based. Okay. In terms of marketing, and I know that you very wisely on your website, you say everything's plant-based. So I just want to talk about that. What is the criteria for that for you? So not to like plant-based is what I had on, put on my website because it was when I started blogging, I was starting to learn about a plant-based diet. Yeah. So a lot of my blog posts were about eating plants. Yeah. And that was something that I didn't grow up learning about sustainability, but especially not about eating plants. Mm-hmm. We're just like McDonald's, not right. eating plants. Mm-hmm. So I started blogging about that, eating plant-based. And so I would say like 99% of the products in my shop are vegan and cruelty-free. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things that aren't have beeswax and a few things, but I've tried to kind of like the same thing with the word zero waste. Yeah, and we're vegan. Both of those words are intimidating to people and scary, and I don't know. I just want everybody to try to embrace being better to their bodies and to the environment. And I think if not using those words makes more people feel included then I'm going to try to do it. And so I use plant-based that term on my website a lot because I think it seems more inviting. Yeah. I mean, it's a great idea. And I, I think, I think all that's very important, you know, cruelty-free and all that. The whole reason I brought this up is because I've been on this jag lately. I feel like plant-based is a marketing term that's too broad. Yeah. Because a lot of things that are plant are not sustainable at all. They might be made of these big monocrops that use tons of pesticides and herbicides and are detriment to the climate and not climate beneficial and so forth. And I think people are very, very quick to say, oh, plant-based, it must be healthy. It must be good for the climate. Right. We just want to open people's eyes that plant-based doesn't really It means some things for sure, but it's not a ticket to good for you, good for the environment. But it's important to use these words for you and us and everyone who's trying to talk about this stuff because this is what people search in Google when they're looking for this stuff. And so that's how we connect with people who are looking for what we're providing, right? So you do use those words. But I guess what we're just trying to say is for people listening, and we talk about this a lot on here too, but like words... Do not equal necessarily like value or value. Yeah. Like it's just, it sucks, but you have to ask like multiple questions. I think words carry a lot of weight. I think that's kind of what the whole problem with trying to figure out the words to say, show what I'm trying to do. And Mm -hmm. for the longest time, it was zero waste is what I was saying. And I didn't know if low waste Mm -hmm. is the better word, but people aren't searching for that. Mm -hmm. So then I was like eco-friendly, but is it eco-slash-friendly? environmentally friendly yeah based or is it 
vegan or is it plant sourced or I don't know like it's hard to know what words to Mm -hmm. use and mostly it's just you know good for the environment good for people but nobody's looking for that yeah yeah (laughs) it's a lot to type into google it's really difficult when you're talking about like you know seo search engine Mm -hmm. engine optimization versus full transparency it's really hard and I guess what I'm trying to say is I'd like to see more of a conversation around what plant-based means what people think it means what they're looking for when they're seeking out plant-based products Mm -hmm. and it still boils down to and we say this on here all the time if you really truly are passionate about what you're consuming or what you're putting on your body or, or using then you sort of have to go on your own personal quest to really go to dive deep and say okay so this is this snack is plant-based okay what's in it does it have soy in it weed in it it's wrapped in a plastic package it's gonna 50 years from now um, if it's not consumed it's gonna be exactly the way it is because it's got it's loaded with preservatives and if you're a person that just embraces these words oh plant-based is what I want because it's better for everything then you're being greenwashed (laughs) basically to tell you you heard it here (laughs) I agree it's even like with the word natural oh that's the word (laughs) well that's yeah natural i see that a lot you know organic gets thrown around a lot sustainable yeah and i feel like it's hard because you have to put a word on it like you have to Mm -hmm. people like labels and boxes and categories and things like that and so it's tough and you're right you kind of have to go on your own journeys of seeing what is it that i'm exactly looking for there are things that are not wrapped in plastic that are not good for you too so it's Mm -hmm. plastic free that the word I don't know I don't know I don't know what the word is I think it's a combination of lots of words and just being open and transparent like you are about right yeah being open about it I love buying from people that just are honest about what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish and you know we have a little marketplace too and we try to do the same thing and sometimes you know it's a challenge it's a challenge to decide what you want to carry and why or why not? I love on your website, on Tiny Yellow Bungalow, your vintage section. Yes. I've like found things and I just noticed there's a vintage metal ice cube tray. It's, you sold it. <laughs> but I'd never seen that before. And of course, and I'm constantly reminded of this because like we were saying earlier, plastic is a very recent invention, relatively. And so of course, at one point, not even that long ago, like when my grandparents were raising you mom yeah everything would have been metal Mm -hmm. or cast iron or whatever else yeah and the fact that I've never seen a metal ice cube tray or even thought that that's how they did that (laughs) that's shocking like brand new metal ice cube tray now they do that's great (laughs) I've like considered carrying the shop but I have a you know a soft spot for secondhand things and and so and I'm like but there are so many metal ice cube trays that are already made yeah yeah i can just find them all and get them into the hands of the people <laughs> this is the metal ice cubes does it have the lever the, the lever yeah, yeah that's so cool yeah. that yeah. reminds me of years ago my parents came to washington dc and they wanted to go to the museum of american history and i was looking for parking so i dropped them off to go on in and i was going to circle looking for parking and i circled you know around the block the big block you know and i came back in front of the museum and they were already standing out and they got in the car and I said what why didn't you go in there and they said well everything in there is stuff that's in our house so (laughs) 
Mom said, that was my kitchen in there. And it was, it was stuff like that, you know, like the toaster and the ice yeah. cube trays. And I just, that was so funny. <laughs> they were like. The Artie Museum it, yeah. era thing yeah. that they were still using. <laughs> so funny. So You're that's funny. the point that, you know, it's been well within my lifetime. And I'm in my 60s that all of this stuff came to be. Sure, we had plastic, absolutely, but I don't know. I don't know what the timeline of plastic production is, but I can tell you it has accelerated exponentially since I was an adult even. Just the whole idea of convenience and the whole idea of doing things quickly and and it was justified. It was like, your time is valuable. Your energy (laughs) is valuable. Do what you need to do to just get Mm -hmm. through the day. Here, buy this stuff that you can use once and throw away. Got out of control so quickly, it seemed. Exponentially, just it was good in theory. Like, yes, we would like to have more time the day, but it just. Yeah, where has that gotten us? Yeah. See how well that worked. Yeah, huge, huge cultural message. You know, let's Mm -hmm. all like turn our antenna to that message and just everywhere in all aspects of life. You know, what is anybody trying to sell us? In the name of saving us time. In exchange for what? Right. I think we'll find that it's a lot of things, a lot of things, and it's a large hunk of our marketplace, actually. So what have you found to be some of your biggest challenges along your journey, and what are some obstacles to zero waste or sustainable living in your own life? I think the biggest struggle I have is just realizing that I'm just working in the space that I have, what I have available to me here and now. For the longest time, I'd get really discouraged because I saw a lot of sustainable influencers on social media that live in like New York or California. And they're like, just pop on over to your bookstore. Right. <laughs> get on your you know, public transportation <laughs> and just right down the street. And right. a lot of that stuff, I'm just like, But most people don't have that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like for the longest time that has, I mean, it's still a struggle just realizing that we don't all have access to the same things. It's not all equal for everybody. And learning that I just can do what I can do. Like Mm -hmm. I can do what I can do. And I don't need to feel bad about things that I can't do. And some people can do a whole lot more. Some of that is not even having access to things, but having the time to do mm-hmm. stuff. Too. I started blogging and started, you know, my sustainable journey when I didn't have kids. I have a son now and you don't have as much time as you had before. It's just, yeah. really? <laughs> you know, you have a lot of other kid things. And so, you know, things before I spent a lot of researching or hunting, thrifting, trying to find these things. And sometimes I'm like, sometimes it's just easier to just, do the easiest thing, not all that. Yeah. And I have to realize that sometimes that's just what it is. It is, and you have to be okay with it. What's your biggest obstacle? Like when you're going through your life and now you have a child. Yeah. And what's your thing where you're like, ugh, I don't have a replacement for this? Or sometimes, you know, maybe your kid just has to eat a Lunchable. I don't know. Yeah. He's actually a super picky eater. Okay. Uh, so that has been a struggle, you know, in my mind. I'm like, my kid's going to eat all organic and plastic free and. All these things, and I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> that did not happen. <laughs> All these things in my mind is uh, no television. <laughs> oh, wow. My how things have changed. <laughs> Just doing the best that we can. And yeah, we buy granola bars, you know, things that I probably could make them, but I'm like, also, <laughs> I'm just going to buy them. Does he eat those applesauce pouch things that screw off? Because you don't need a spoon in it. You can just like... <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's just what trash. Happened I mean, to the pouch. It's I around know. for I know. five thousand years. But I see, yeah, <laughs> they make actually reusable ones. What? Oh, cool. Okay, so it's like a little pouch, like, like a, a silicone. Pouch. Okay. Yeah, and then so you make like purees at home, and then yeah, like, there you go. Oh my gosh. So okay. They that little for, for that. They sound there amazing. you go, Emma. Now you're all ready. <laughs> Well, what does slow living mean to you? Are you able to embrace that concept in your life? Yeah, I think slow living and sustainability are just hand in hand. You know, it's um, all about living more intentionally. And I've found that I've definitely embraced slow living now that I have a kid because you can't do all of that running, running, going, going. Life is so much more enjoyable when we do slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, this summer, we've just spent a lot of time just playing in the backyard and playing in the dirt. And those are the best days. We're a lot happier, a lot calmer when we just have quiet days at home compared to finding the next activity to mm-hmm. do. Yeah, and I think that that goes a lot with sustainability, you know, slowing down and kind of like how we were talking in the beginning about buying stuff and consumerism, how we do that sustainably, that a lot of what sustainable living and slow living is is just thinking about stuff mm-hmm. before you find it. Mm-hmm. Well, do I really need this? Do I have something I can use that I already have? Can I find that secondhand? Can I borrow it from somebody? And just, yeah, slow down for just a minute. Just, yeah, get your thoughts together. And I don't know. That's how I feel about it. How old is your child? He's four. Four. So you're really into the the snacks and the food and the going to the park and all that kind of thing. Yes. He's a lot of fun. So I think I saw on your website... About the whole cloth diaper thing. Talk about that. Yes, because they look so stinky cute. Yeah, they are cute. (laughs) Yeah, we cloth diapered with Vasco, and we're going to use the same diapers we had for Vasco for the second baby. And now I feel like I'm a veteran. I'm going to do it now. I've got Yeah. I know which diapers I like. I know what works for us. We are going to use disposables for the first couple of months okay why is that so with cloth diapering a lot of times the cloth diapers they start fitting babies at about eight pounds and so you often have to get like a newborn stash of diapers yeah which there are a lot of them that you can find secondhand on facebook marketplace and stuff like that but in my mind those first few weeks are rough Mm -hmm. and you really just, it goes by so fast and I don't want to be doing laundry in those first few weeks. I want to just be like soaking up all of the baby snuggles mm-hmm. and I don't want to be thinking about extra laundry. I'm going to take the convenience route mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think that is a wonderful reason to take the convenience route right mm-hmm. there. It's just something that lasts for such a short amount of time that, yeah, she'll fit into the cloth diapers before we know it. Mm-hmm. Basco was, yeah, just a month old or something by the time he fit into. Okay, so it's pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, so I did the cloth diaper thing with my oldest, which is 35 years ago. Excellent. <laughs> and somebody came and picked him up and brought him back clean. Did they not do that anymore? That's so nice. Yeah, it was a service. Oh, and you just, you know, they, they gave you the dispenser that was part of the service, and you just Put them in there and put them out on the porch, and they came and brought you clean diapers and took away the dirty ones. How about that? Oh, my goodness. That is like, would be like a dream come true for a mom. Like, how nice to just put them outside. Someone just brings yeah. them back. So what, why hasn't somebody revived that? Surely somewhere there, somebody's doing that. Surely. Oh, mom, I'm going to do it. And that's my new business. 
Do it. Do it. All right. I don't have anything else to do. (laughs) I know. No other projects. Yeah. So it sounds like you got a system down. Like it's just, it's from what I understand, it's just kind of like you really just have to figure out how to make it work for you and it's doable. It just takes some commitment, right? Yeah, it does. And in the beginning, it's a little tricky because there's so many different kinds of cloth diapers and different systems diapering so i really recommend people getting a bunch of secondhand diapers and trying a bunch of different ones out because i even saw that with basco people recommend it's their favorite brands to me and i brought them and hated them mm. and i tried other ones that i love and so everybody has a favorite cloth diaper and each baby is different too you know their legs are different shapes and some don't fit them the right way so. how different can cloth diapers be i mean there were just cotton rectangles back in the day Oh, and you folded fancy, them. Fancy cloth diapers now. Oh. They've got my favorite are the pocket diapers. It's like a, uh, a pocket shell with uh, snaps, like different sizes. So you can make them really small or really big. And then it has an insert that goes inside and you can put one, two, three inserts, however many you need. They have different kinds of inserts, bamboo inserts, hemp inserts. They make all-in-one diapers where the inserts are connected to the shell is is a whole thing let me tell you back in the day you had a cotton triangle no (laughs) excuse me rectangle and you you were taught in the hospital they showed you how to fold it and you folded it to fit your newborn you folded it to fit your 10 month old and that was it and it did have i will say this it had sort of a padding through the middle of it so it was thicker in the middle and the outsides were thinner and and that was where you you pinned. Wow. So, yes, Jesse, what does the good dirt mean to you? The good dirt. I don't know. When I think about good dirt, I think about a strong foundation. How plants need a lot of stuff to grow and sun, rain, all these things. But what does that even matter if, like, the foundation was not so good? And I think that that applies to everything in life. There's all these wonderful things we need, but without a strong foundation, where does it matter? Yes. And the strong foundation being, I'll let you finish the sentence if you wish. Yeah, what is that strong foundation? You know, like for sustainable living, you can get caught up in, you know, is it it's the sustainable fashion? Is it reducing food mm-hmm. waste? Is it finding eco-friendly mm-hmm. swaps? And at the end, it's like, okay, but what are we doing here? We're trying to be better for the environment. Mm-hmm. And I think you can get caught up in all these little things. And you have to bring it back. Bring it back to the beginning. What are we doing here? What are we doing for the planet? What are we doing for people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your foundation, your why, what are you doing? Instead of getting so lost in those things of, yeah, where was this made? What was it doing? How do I get find this and Mm -hmm. build this? And it's just like, bring it back. Start from the beginning. Foundation of something strong and remind yourself of that whenever you feel discouraged about how you're doing things just remember like let's bring it back i like that the good dirt is kind of like your why yeah that's cool and it's really cool yeah it all it all comes back to the good dirt we say it every week yeah (laughs) we sure do (laughs) well jesse you're so lovely this was such a lovely chat thank you so much for joining us today it's been fun i like it I've had a lot of fun chatting with you guys, and I hope we can do it again sometime. You guys are so fun. And if people want to find you, they just do, is it tinyyellowbungalow.com? Yes, and I do a lot of fun on Instagram, too. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you want to um, leave the audience with or anything else you want to talk about before we close? My best advice with sustainable living, at least, is to not take things too seriously and just 
do what you can. Do something, do anything, rather than getting stuck and feeling like you can't make a difference. Just try something because if we're all doing a little bit, it matters and it makes mm-hmm. a difference and it's impactful. Well, have a beautiful rest of your evening. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been so lovely. Well, me too. Thank you. Thank you. And let's stay in touch. Bye. Adios. Hi, Emma and Mary. My name is Bethany Tippin, and my family and I live in the wild state of Wyoming. And I'm just calling because I have loved, loved, loved listening to The Good Dirt for probably the last nine months. Um, We recently moved from town, out of town, to some acreage, and that changed the timing of my commuting and bringing the kids in for school. Uh, And so we, as a family, started listening to tons more podcasts. And the good dirt has been an important one, especially for me and for my daughter, because she has a heart for sustainable living and actually has this dream of owning a sustainable bakery. She's only 14 at this moment, but the good dirt has really increased our awareness and it has helped us to be part of the conversation. Like you say that you hope that it's a two-way thing. It is because we listen to your discussions and then Ella and I get to have discussions of our own. It's been really fun. I also feel like I found you at a really crucial and important moment in our lives because the good dirt turned into a lifeline for me. I was working a lot, going to school full-time at the same time. Um, We were just moving to this new property and house, changing our lifestyle, and I was very, very aware that I was not living sustainably for me, right? Lots of things we did maybe could be sustainable for the environment, um, but it just wasn't for us and for our household. So, The concepts that you talk about, your commitment to living slower, to noticing things, to being inspired by each other, to returning back to the heart of nature and appreciating our world and earth, all of that stuff has just absolutely centered my heart um, and helps me to feel like I had hope. So that's what the good dirt means to me, is it means hope. So thank you for having your show and giving us a lifeline, and it really has enriched our lives. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow-living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye. <laughs>